Since January, as uh, most of you know, we've focused many of the Sunday evenings on the subject of evangelism from the book of Acts, evangelism episodes. We continue this focus this evening, but with a bit of a twist, a, a little bit of a different look this evening, because evangelism is not just local, but it's also global. We call it missions. Either way, what is it? What is missions? What is evangelism? It's shining the gospel light in a dark place, either locally or globally, either across the street or across the sea. Either way, um, it's the same um, activity of sharing the gospel message. And for many decades, uh, this church has, I believe, been on the cutting edge uh, in this particular work in the gospel, not so much uh, cutting edge with local evangelism, but with global, we seem to have always been in the sweet spot of global missions. Now, to a great degree, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, reasons for that, that God has used a, a very active missions committee. We've had a very active missions committee for pushing four decades here. Uh, that is important. Annual missions conferences, that is important bringing in the most choice uh, missionaries, those who are uh, called, well-trained, motivated, equipped to go to the, and committed to go to the field. Uh, so those and lots of other, going on, on short-term mission trips yourself. Anyone here ever been on a short-term mission trip? More, the majority of you have, and I have been on a number of those as well, and it will change your life. So for those reasons and likely others, we we have done uh, global missions uh, fairly well, and I don't say that uh, in a braggadocious way at all, but it's simply obeying what the Lord said to do in Acts 1-8, to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, that's Acts chapter 1 through 7, and in Judea, that is Acts chapter 8 through 12, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, and that is chapter 13 and following, and where we are today. I, uh, I saw a, um, a picture on Facebook of my daughter and her family who uh, this, uh, uh, no, 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 I didn't see that on Facebook because she did, did, did Betsy go to Syracuse? They went to Messina uh, uh, in Sicily. We, Kathy and I went to uh, Syracuse and I was looking uh, uh, at our, at our uh, family, uh, not our family, but uh, our European trip uh, uh, book that Kathy uh, had uh, designed and, and printed up uh, for a Christmas gift for me. And I was looking at it this afternoon and reflecting that we were literally at the very place the Apostle Paul was uh, in Acts chapter 27. And we know that we were because the place where we were, uh, this big temple to a, 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 a pagan Gre uh, Grecian god, um, was erected, constructed 500 years before the first missionary journey, uh, the third missionary journey when Paul was there. And so uh, it was, uh, it was uh, quite heady to be right where the Apostle Paul brought the gospel for the first time to the island of Sicily, just off the coast of Italy. Um, and that's where chapter 13, it begins that. So this evening, we consider the beginning, the blueprint for global missions. I, I went the wrong way. 
me give you the title of that just in case you did not get it. The blueprint for global missions. We're given that in Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through 5 if you would look at that even right now. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted or as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work into which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, departed unto Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. The final words that Jesus gave before he ascended was to go and make disciples, the Great Commission. He didn't focus on the ministry of maintenance, but on the ministry of multiplication. Each one, win one. Who will you go and get that idea? Um, His primary focus was not geopolitical clout, but instead he wanted evangelistic power for people to come into uh, his family. And so the book of Acts and the rest of the book of Acts uh, details primarily the Apostle Paul uh, taking the gospel to the ends of the world, his three missionary church planting uh, journeys. So God is global. Um, It's clear from Scripture, even going back to Genesis chapter 12, when he said um, in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee. In you, Abraham, in your seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. And of course, that's because it was through Israel that Messiah came. It was through Israel that the scriptures were given and Abraham being the founding patriarch of the ethnicity known as the Jew. And Jesus said in John uh, check that. It would, the Apostle John said in John 1, 10 through 12, he, Christ, came, uh, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so our missions committee and our mission strategy has been to a great degree for a long time to place missionaries that we support in strategic locations, in Tel Aviv, uh, in uh, 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 the uh, uh, people group, Spanish-speaking people group, by way of internet, to the world by way of internet, uh, to uh, uh, Latins who will then be trained in Muslim missions, to Bible translators right in the people group, whether that be in, in uh, Papua New Guinea or whether that be uh, somewhere in uh, East Asia uh, to a place uh, that I'm not going to disclose. And all points in between with the goal being, with the mission being, lift high the gospel, lift high the name of Christ to a people group who do not know. We've also had, as as the uh, first missionary, the blueprint for missions, our philosophy, that we were not going to support our missionaries with $10 a month 
or something along that line. We don't, we're not inclined to have 500 missionaries on our team, all of whom are supported 10 or $20 a month. Instead, we would rather have 10 or 12 or 14 mission families, uh, uh, and we support hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month, maybe thousands in some cases, so that we can be deeply entrenched with them in that field, so that we have a day-to-day, week-to-week, and certainly month-to-month relationship with each one of them. We get to them. It is like being with family. And they will tell you, uh, every one of our missionaries will tell you, if you were to ask them, if Redbridge is not the most important aspect of their ministry team, we are certainly one of the most. I've heard that time and time again. Missionaries rave about the care and the concern and the involvement that they receive from our local church. Isn't that, isn't that a blessing? And it's certainly a glory to God. And we thank the Lord that, that he has raised up missionaries that we support uh, in that way. And so, the blueprint. What does it look like? What should it look like? And I think if you were to uh, put, put the blueprint of Acts 13 over the top of how we do missions here, you will see that it is very consistent. We're following this blueprint to, uh, to the greatest degree, I would argue, that we can. First of all, we see in verses 1 and 2, the primary point is the selection of missions and missionaries by the Spirit. The selection by the Spirit. The Lord himself is the one who calls out missionaries to serve him and, and then strategically places them in, um, in various places. And it is uh, uh, the responsibility, the onus is on us to discern that. And that's not an easy thing uh, because it's not like he writes it in the sky. Um, and it's not like there aren't missionaries who are wanting to go. Every week, probably every week, I would imagine, uh, uh, even this past week, we receive requests from missionaries to come and present the work. And if we, uh, if we responded in the affirmative to every single request, Folks, that is all that we would be doing. Brother Ray, you can uh, give a witness to that to the greatest degree. That's practically all that we would be doing. And so we have a committee, uh, and they have a process. They have procedures through which they work to seek to qualify a mission team. Is this, some, is this where we need to be? Is this, do we agree in doctrine? Um, uh, do we have uh, the funds to, to, to make this available? Uh, what is our long-term range and long-range plans and all kinds of things? Uh, and of course, every step of the way, we are trying and we're seeking to share with missionaries uh, as much uh, as we can. And, and Ray, did you send out that uh, uh, email today about uh, uh, Movements for Tomorrow Mission in, um, in Liberia? Did that go out today? Uh, I, I meant to bring my checkbook. I want to get in on that. And so uh, make a note to yourself, if you would, remind, remind the old feeble preacher uh, Tuesday uh, that I'm participating in that. And, and it's that kind of thing. Uh, it, is, it is seeing those whom the Spirit has called out and then getting on board because you believe in this work. Uh, and then getting on board with, um, with that particular work. Henry Martin once said, the Spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. We will be. The closer you grow to the Lord, the closer your heart is to God's heart. Well, what's God's heart? To seek and to save those who are lost, to see him presented to the world. And so God wants his name to be known throughout the world. He is jealous to be known. 
he, uh, he seeks after worshipers, those who will worship him. Um, and so we share uh, him with a lost and dying world. It is really Paul's mission. In Romans 1.5, it says, By whom uh, we have received grace and apostleship, that is from the Lord, for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name, for, for the sake of his name, we do missions. For the sake of the gospel being broadcast so that glory and fame would be brought to the Lord Jesus is why we do missions primarily. That is the primary motivating thrust. It's for his name's sake. John Piper in his book, The Pleasures of God, argues the fame of God is the goal of missions. The fame of God. Folks, when that is your theology and when that is your philosophy of missions, your motive is sure purified, right? Uh, You don't have any pet projects of your own. It's not about me. Uh, It's not about us. It is about the fame of God being uh, uh, this big, broad brush, a big, large paint swipe goes across the nations and it says, God is proclaimed. And if that is our heartbeat, and it has been, and, and, and I dare say it's going to continue to be, then our motive is purified um, and we'll support uh, those on the field in various places that we uh, believe that he has brought our way. And so, how does he do that? Well, he sovereignly touches the missionaries. We see that in verse 1. There were in the church at Antioch these folks. And uh, uh, these folks were called, of course, all believers are called into global missions, but there are some specifically targeted to do this, to go here, to go there. And how is one's heart ignited and then kept hot for missions? In and through a local church, as well as supporting families who cheer that on, who, who, who make that um, accessible. Uh, oh my, to be in a local church that doesn't ever have uh, much in the way of promotion of missions must be a very stale environment. By definition, it would have to be because you're not having God's heart. And and if God's heart's not there, then why even gather? Y'all following that argument? And so keeping missions, local evangelism, global missions before God's people is that which the Lord uses to stir our hearts. I've been asked by pastors uh, uh, for for 30 years, how is it that Redbridge is so so mission-minded? How is it that you get on board or missionaries get on board with you all uh, and, and they, really, uh, they really are effective? They really are fruitful? What pra- of course, the answer is God. But what practically, they're asking, what practically are you doing uh, and have you been doing for this to be a reality? I always say two things. An annual missions conference. That is, we sleep, drink, breathe, and eat global missions, and then, of course, throughout the year, we're reminded of it periodically, uh, as we have been today. You would think that today was a missions conference, but today is just a Sunday out of the year where uh, we, we sing about it, we preach about it, and um, we're reminded of it. That's important. Uh, that's what young people need. They hear about it as a 12-year-old, as a 14-year-old, as an 18-year-old, and all of a sudden, God, are you doing something in my soul? That's how that sort of a thing works. How is it that Timothy ended up going into the ministry for life and pastoring the greatest church in the first century at a young age. 
that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through mother and grandmother Lois and Eunice. Amen? In other words, it didn't happen just in a moment. There were, there were years of preparation for that. And so, uh, and, and I said uh, the first thing is a, a missions conference and a missions focus. Second thing is a short-term trip. Go. Go to the field. Pick somewhere. Start saving money. And you've heard me say this before. When my uh, daughter, uh, 11 years ago, said she was uh, carrying uh, uh, my first grandchild. She wasn't just carrying her first child. She was carrying my first grandchild. You understand? You grandparents got to get a witness. <laughs> And I went uh, the next day and opened a savings account, Grandchildren Mission Trip. That's what it's called. It's never been touched yet. Just now, starting to be preteens. But uh, one of these days, the grandchildren I trust uh, are going to want to go on a short-term mission trip. Go serve in an orphanage. Go work in some capacity in some third world country. And then, of course, they'll have to make an application. They'll have to fill out an application, go through an interview, and the like, because uh, after all, this is God's money. Uh, but it's been targeted for that, all right? Um, okay, um, where was I? Lots of different people involved. We see Barnabas and, and uh, Simeon Niger and Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, and so And these are just haphazard kinds of guys. Saul was, uh, was a brilliant theologian, if you will, schooled in the law uh, at the feet of Gamaliel. And, and uh, we see that uh, uh, Simeon Niger from Ethiopia, probably, uh, uh, Lucius of Cyrene uh, from Libya, a long way from home, Menaean, who was the, uh, maybe a cousin of An- uh, Herod Antipas, who was the one who had John the Baptist beheaded. I mean, this is a ragtag team to use as a blueprint, but folks, not many mighty are called. Not many noble are called. God uses the weak things, the beggarly things of this world. He puts his treasure in clay pots. Why? So that he alone will receive the glory, right? You weren't anything special relative to what God might have used, and yet, and nor was I, and yet he called you and he'll use you. So he sovereignly touches the hearts of missionaries, drawing them out to go to a specific targeted field. Of course, we're all to go to the world, uh, the whole world, but, but I need something more specific than that. And folks, I've said this before. Uh, I was called to preach um, 40, I was called to preach 40 years ago and two months in the spring of 83. I didn't go into the pastorate until 85, but I was called, uh, uh, and I know that, uh, that I had this uh, uh, undeniable, unquenchable uh, burning in my soul to go into the ministry. And I had a very specific, targeted mission field, the local church. Uh, why? Uh, why did I have that then? I, I don't know. God sovereignly did it. I never ha- had any sense of going to uh, Ukraine, uh, going to Albania, going to Colombia, uh, South America, I, the best I know, I would have said yes to any of those. That would have been absolutely fine. I didn't have any particular uh, axe to grind about where, but it was to the local church um, in, uh, in America. The best, I've never doubted that. In 40 years, I've never doubted that. And you would think that, that if, I, if I missed it, 
he would have closed one door and opened another. Or I would have, I would have felt a, a sense of guilt or conviction or something like that. No? No, there's been freedom and liberty ever since. And those who he calls, he calls to particular places. He, um, he's the one who sovereignly does that. Notice in the end of verse 2, it's the work unto which I have called them. Now, initially, uh, with the blueprint, you got to start somewhere. So, he called them to go on this first missionary trip. And you can kind of follow on a map the various points that he went to. Wasn't all that far uh, from Antioch. It wasn't all that far from Jerusalem. It was in that general vicinity. Then the second missionary trip expanded out. The third missionary trip even more. Uh, and so God had a particular target in mind, the Spirit of God did. Secondly, we see not only uh, is there a selection of missions by the Spirit, uh, there's also the commissioning by the church. Notice in verse 3, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The local church is involved. And this is where the discernment, this is where uh, uh, the uh, walking together with one mind and, um, and, dis- make, and discussing, and we've done this for decades and decades, we'll, get a, we'll receive a name. Somebody uh, maybe from even within the church has said, uh, I, I want to, I'm being called here or there. I'm sensing God's moving in my life. And the missions committee and, and pastoral involvement and any uh, family involvement uh, uh, will, will, will start grooming that situation, that person, and ultimately, ultimately either it being clear that no, this is not something upon which we're going to uh, uh, land, or it is. And so there is a commissioning to missions uh, by the church, a sending out. Now, what does this verse tell us? First of all, there should be, there must be focused intercession. Notice in verse 3, and when they had fasted and prayed. I'll remind you that fasting is not primarily about food. You say, it's not? I thought fasting was the absence of food. Yes, technically it is. But that's not the primary, uh, primary uh, issue. The primary issue is not food, but focus. That is why you prayerfully fast, so that you can sharpen your focus. In, in fact, I have a working, if you'll allow me to, uh, to use it, a working definition that I dreamt up forever ago. I don't know where or why. I think when I was preaching through Nehemiah 20, 25 years ago, fasting is the personal and willing denial of satisfying a physical need or desire for a designated season which could otherwise be righteously fulfilled. Take food, for instance. Is food a necessary need or desire? Yes, it is. In fact, uh, not only does food uh, uh, do that for us in in taking care of uh, our physical uh, health, it also tastes good. (laughs) Isn't God good? Amen? Uh, I mean, we actually enjoy it. Anybody, can I get a witness? Do you enjoy eating? Some of you aren't out raising your hands. Boy, I'm very vulnerable with you people. (laughs) Thank you. We enjoy it. And so fasting is personal, meaning I can't put this on you. I can't compel you. I can't command you because it's personal. And it's willing to set aside that so that I can 
focus for a designated season on this particular burden that I have. So fasting, though not commanded, it is certainly commended. And for the blueprint of missions, launching out into the world, it was in Jerusalem, then in Judea, Samaria, now to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is a huge deal. Uh, we're, sending, we're sending our two best. We're sending Paul and Barnabas. I mean, if we lose them, my, we're starting back over from ground zero. The church must have thought, and yet the Lord was calling them. So they had to have that type uh, of prayer focus. Secondly, there should, there must be unified affirmation. Notice at the end of verse 3, it says, and, and they, that is the leadership, at the church at Antioch, the prophets, the teachers, and all of those, they sent them away. They sent them to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the Gentile world, world the commission that Jesus had said, go and make disciples. Now, of course, the, uh, the goal, the heartbeat, is the making of disciples. But the, uh, the imperative verb and the only one, the rest of the uh, uh, seemingly uh, appearing commands are participles, meaning as you are going, you're going to make disciples. Uh, they had to go, uh, and they needed to be unified in this. The church was of one mind. Now, hear this. That does not mean that every step along the way, any one of them would have followed the exact same procedure if he or she could have written the script. Did you follow that? You wouldn't have followed the exact same procedure. We're, uh, uh, we're in the midst of seeking and looking for an assistant pastor of family ministries. And we have, just imagine that's, that's missional, uh, kind of like this blueprint. What did the church do? Uh, the church looked out among ourselves, and with one mind, the deacon said, these are the five members and two alternates we want on this committee. And in wisdom, through my uh, counsel, which that was wise for the church to follow, pastoral leadership, you all said, the deacons are the ones who, uh, who nominated them. We are embracing the exact same entire group without any exceptions. Now that's it doesn't mean that each one of us would have picked those exact same seven people if we could have done it secretly and, and privately. Y'all following that? But, but because we followed uh, a proper order of things, doing all things decently and in order, the congregation in one voice said, yes, that's what we... And they've been working hundreds and hundreds, thousands of man hours for these 13 months or so. We've come to a, a dilemma. Can I let you in on some inside baseball here? We have too many fantastic candidates right now. <laughs> Tuesday night, a couple of us said, ah, can we hire more than one? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating on that. It's fantastic right now. Because the Lord is pleased to answer prayer, and you have been praying, and we have been praying and I've been intimidated by these guys that we've been looking at like, oh my, uh, uh, hopefully they, they won't notice uh, 
<laughs> that I'm outmatched and outclassed. And I don't say that, uh, I, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but these are great candidates. And just like Paul and Barnabas were the best of the best. And God says, I want them to go. And the church said, yes, we affirm that. We don't know who all went. Certainly Paul and, or Saul and Barnabas with John Mark. Uh, Luke uh, went because he was the amanuensis. He was the one uh, who did the, the, uh, the he, he was the, uh, the scribe. He was in Paul's hip pocket all the time writing the book of Acts. So we don't know who all went, but the church was unified. This blueprint for missions. Thirdly, this is what you have to have as well. You have to have the submission of the servants. You have to have those who say, God's calling me. The church is in agreement. Here I go. What's that, what's that uh, missions uh, conference hymn? Um, Send of your sons and daughters. Fund them on their way. What is it? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Maybe we can do that. But it's that kind of an idea. That is, there must be those who will say, I'm going then. Here I go. Uh, uh, and, uh, and it's scary, possibly, in the flesh, uh, humanly speaking. And yet, <clears throat> there is the willingness to select them and to send them, to commission them, but it's all just academic unless the folks themselves are willing and enthusiastic to go to the field. You know, I think uh, of Paul and Anna taking three at the time. I don't, know, I don't know if they had all three at the time. Probably not. Uh, but taking little ones, very little ones, to a scary world out there to translate Scripture into the language of a particular remote village. Just of a few hundred people. And folks with new tribes have done that over the years. How, how years ago we supported the Theobalds and how close we've been with the Foster family when they were in New Guinea and, and all. Folks, we have a part in a generation being touched with the gospel who never even had a written language in the history of the world. Isn't that amazing? You know, they got questions which launched here at this church now has millions of hits on their website every month. Millions of people come to their website all over the world in well over 100 languages in just a score of years, just in 20 years or so. That is the kind of fruitfulness. And Jesus said, you will do greater things than I have done, quantity-wise, because he was stationed in one place, about a 100-mile area. And we are going to the world to God be the glory. But there had to be those who would go. And so what happened? In verse 4, we see there was immediate obedience. Verse 4, so they, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, and, and, and the church, verse 3, sending them away, they departed unto Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cy Cyprus. You know, uh, this is a bit redundant because if it's obedient, of course it's immediate. Because if it's not immediate, it's not obedience. If it's not immediate with the right heart attitude, it's not obedience at all. It's disobedience. Even though one may be going through the motions of looking like 
it's obeying. It, it's the four-year-old who's told to do this, and the four-year-old goes to do it, but you can see it all over his face. He's not obeying in spirit. Anybody identify with that? <laughs> That's not how it was with Paul and Barnabas and the rest. They willingly, enthusiastically wanted the gospel to leave just Palestine and go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So they were obedient, and there was inherent boldness. Look at verse 5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John as their helper, young John, probably a teenager at the time. Not the apostle John, but this is John Mark. Maybe a 13-year-old, maybe a 14-year-old. They brought him along as well, maybe for discipleship. And folks, that's why I say, send your young people on mission trips. Uh, uh, my, uh, my thirdborn, now actually all four of my kids went on a mission trip to Brazil uh, while they were elementary age. My thirdborn uh, went, has been to Brazil starting at age 16 and a couple of times by herself as a teenager um, because it exposes young people to the work of God while still developing a worldview. And I would argue that the children, the teenagers, who are closest to the heart of God in missions are the ones who seem to be the most sensitive to the Lord overall. Did, did that make sense? Did you, and that, that only follows. Of course that makes sense. If you are in the work, if you're neck deep, if you're depending on the Lord, if you're seeing things take place right before your eyes that you don't see in cozy South KCMO, then your faith is built, your boldness is enhanced, um, and God grants that, that measure, that great measure of boldness to preach, uh, and Paul preached to the entire island. Look at verse 6. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, uh, and it goes on to talk about what all went on. The blueprint for world missions, for global missions, for evangelism episodes is not just across the back fence with your neighbor. It is that. But it's also across the ocean to those neighbors over there. The local church is to be very much involved in that um, all our days. May Redbridge always be a sending and a supporting church, a, a, a praying, a caring church for the world to see the gospel in lights, uh, showcased in dark and desolate lands. Uh, we, we just can't do any better than this as a local church than getting the gospel to those who need to hear. Lord, I'm so thankful for uh, this blueprint we have and how I have seen this play out in this church for 40 years. Uh, it's, it's, it was in the, it was about in the mid-80s, 84, 85, we first took on um, Dan and Kendall um, uh, Dan and uh, Beverly, uh, uh, Kendall Fort Missions. Um, and when we first sent out the Tharp family, and Alan and, and his late wife Elaine 
Lord into Jewish missions and how uh, there have been so many and still supported. And Lord, I'm thankful for the support that Webchenault's widow, Cassie, has given for Haiti Home of Hope in the decades since his home going and now, a couple of weeks ago, her home going. And certainly would have heard, well done, good and faithful servant. May the work go on. And for the work, the orphanage in the country, and you know the name, through Movements for Tomorrow, Lord, would you enhance that work. And for the teaching the gospel to children in Liberia and the present pressing need right now, uh, Lord, would you let that work go on and expand. And so move in our hearts that we would go and give, that we would pray, that we would preach the glorious gospel of the grace of God in Christ. Change our hearts if need be. Increase our vision. Enhance our effort. For Lord, this is your work. Uh, And we want to be involved in this. Your glorious name, Lord Jesus, we do pray. Amen.